The reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 34. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptised for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day, yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Thanks, Kim. Let's, let's pray. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Lord, as we look at your word now, please may it lighten our paths in the future. Amen. Well, the whole point of the resurrection is that 
changes our priorities, or it certainly should do. Uh, when we first moved up to North Hearts, we were involved in a local Anglican church, and <coughs> the, the only uh, home group going on was a, a sherry party we were invited to. But very quickly, a, a Bible study started, and about 60 people came along. Some of you may remember Mary Mason's home. We all squashed into her house and broke into groups. Uh, and we studied the Bible together. The problem was that the vicar wasn't very happy because uh, he uh, realized that for some, this was divisive. And I remember a sermon he gave uh, that was entitled, Doctrine is Divisive. He, he wanted less emphasis on the authority of Scripture and much more on people just getting along with each other. So what we're going to look at in this talk, uh, three points. Doctrine does matter. Uh, resurrection very much matters. And our choices matter. So let's start off with the doctrine matters. Do you remember what Jesus said after the resurrection? Uh, he met with Cleopas and his companion, possibly his wife, uh, as they were walking to Emmaus, seven miles. Try doing that after you've had a great nail through your ankles. Interesting. Uh, and what did he do on the way? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So his priority was to teach the scriptures. That's the Old Testament in those days. Then, what did he do when he met up with the eleven in the upper room? Not just the eleven, of course. There were the other the ladies, the other band of followers. What did he say to them? This is what I told you while I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Doctrine very much matters to Jesus. Do you remember what one of the last directives that uh, Paul gave to Timothy? In his uh, last letter there, uh, Timothy at this time was the senior elder in Ephesus. And he says to Timothy, preach the word. For the time will come when people have no interest in sound doctrine. It, I was interested to learn that the, the word doctrine actually first appeared in the English translation of the Bible by John Wycliffe. You know, 1382, well before Luther. And he, he mentions the word doctrine over a hundred times. It matters. I was reading this week uh, something that Dorothy says, you know, the, the writer. Uh, she was also a Christian. She wrote an article called Creed or Chaos. Very relevant to today. It seems to me quite disastrous that the idea should have got about that Christianity is an otherworldly, unreal, idealistic kind of religion that suggests that if we're good, 
will be happy. She goes on. On the contrary, it is fiercely and even harshly realistic, insisting that there are certain eternal achievements that can make even happiness look like trash. The gospel is talking about eternal things. Much, much more than now. And she's absolutely right. Jesus came that people may have eternal life. Life in God's presence. A resurrection life. He came that we should be saved. That our friends and our families should be saved. That's the gospel. So the good news, the, the gospel, the doctrine of the gospel, is a response to the bad news. If people don't understand the bad news, then they never realize what the good news is all about. God's standards are far higher than ours, and we all fall short of them. We deserve to be eternally separated from God. That's the bad news. But the thrilling thing is that there is now a remedy. That people like us can be acceptable to God because of what his son Jesus has done. He died on the cross to pay for our sin and he rose to show that his sacrifice was accepted by God. That's why it's so important. This is the confidence that God wants his chosen people, all of us, to experience. I don't know, I love to go around tombstones sometimes, and you see, often they put R.I.P. Have you seen it at the bottom? Do you know what it stands for? It, yeah, we think it says rest in peace, but actually it comes from the, the Latin recriscat that means may he rest in peace. Yeah, it's a vague hope, may he. In contrast, in the catacombs in, in Rome, the, the phrase, obviously they use Latin too, but the one they used was dormit in pace. He sleeps in peace. Isn't that different? The confidence that's there because of the resurrection. I think you, you heard last week, didn't you, the, about the word cemetery. You know, this is a Christian word because it, it's derived from uh, the, the Greek word for a, a sleeping place. So where Christians were buried, it was a sleeping place. It was a cemetery. Because Christians have a certain future. Because they're in Christ, and Christ has taken their sin. So the question's got to be asked. How did these Christians have such confidence? I find it staggering today that people often say, yes, but you Christians, you're so arrogant. You, you assume that you're going to be all right with God, and other people aren't. But that, that's always been the teaching of God's people. You know, he sleeps in peace. <laughs> the, uh, I hope some of you have seen if, uh, the article that went, went around that Lily sent out on the teaching about the resurrection in the Old Testament. If you haven't, do, do look at your, uh, 
on your computer again. In fact, Lily's put a few outside as well. Uh, to say, this is a doctrine right through the Word of God. The resurrection is right through the Old Testament. Uh, these doctrines matter because if we hold to these doctrines, they're evidence that we're holding to Christ. And it's in Christ that our salvation is secure. If we're going off and saying, oh, I'm not sure about the resurrection. I was talking to someone yesterday. He said, we go to a church where we don't believe in the resurrection. Good gracious. What a disaster. No, we hold Christ's doctrines because we know who the Lord Jesus is. Do you remember last week's sermon? Uh, how Paul started this epic uh, passage on resurrection. If you've got your Bible, look at 15 verse 1. Now, brethren, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. There they are, the Christians. They're very clear. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word preached to you. Doctrine matters. My salvation depends on staying with Christ, not going off at my own opinion. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. So, doctrine really matters. Our salvation is dependent on it. Now, let's hone down now to the resurrection. The resurrection really matters. You, you know there have been many attempts to destroy the Christian faith by realizing that the resurrection is key. Destroy the resurrection and you destroy the Christian faith. Uh, but it's not so easily done as the evidence is so strong. Uh, there's a, a French atheist, Renan, who argued that he couldn't believe in Mary Magdalene's evidence as she'd been a prostitute and had uh, seven demons, uh, he suggested that she was a frightened, hysterical woman to the point of insanity. So why on earth should you believe her evidence? That's where it stopped. What about the evidence of the disciples? They were utterly convinced. Eleven out of the twelve died telling the world that Jesus rose from the dead, and therefore we will face God when we rise from the dead. You, the arguments, there's another article going around that talks about the skeptics who've wrestled with the question of the resurrection. If there's any skeptics here, people unsure, do look at the evidence of the resurrection. These skeptics, there's a whole list of them, who studied the evidence and they've all come off and said, you know, those disciples really were certain. They couldn't have behaved the way they did unless they were sure about the resurrection. You know, do you remember we saw the film of Lee Strobel? His wife became a Christian, and he, he set out to show uh, how wrong she was. Uh, he spent 21 months uh, cross-examining various scholars, 13 scholars, and in the end, he said, it must be true. The resurrection must have happened. And he became a Christian. One of the people he interviewed was Gary Habermas. And 
himself had become a Christian when studying a PhD. And it's the evidence of what happened to those disciples that got him to realize how much he needed Jesus. Uh, Habermas says, I'd, I'd say that 95% of scholars will agree to this sentence. The disciples had experiences which they, were, uh, which they believed were appearances of the risen Jesus. They really were sure. Would they have died for a lie? Frank Morrison, who moved the stone, he, he wanted to disprove it. And the first chapter says, you know, this is a book I didn't intend to write. He became convinced. <laughs> I was talking to a, a, a man when w walking my dog this week, and we, we got to the point where you know, I could naturally ask him, are, are you a Christian yourself, or aren't you sure about these things? And he said, oh, I, I'm an Anglican. He says, but I, I'm not the practicing sort. It's funny how common that is now. Uh, as I think the central message should be, do as you would be done by. That's my Christianity. You don't need a church for that. Well, of course you don't, because that's not Christianity. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus had something very specific. Uh, when the risen Jesus first appeared, do you remember he said, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And the implication of that, the resurrection, that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. That's the effect it should have on us. We are involved in telling people how they can be saved. And it remains the message of the church. The facts are there. Jesus is God. He died and he rose from the dead. And our message is repent. Come back to God. Unless we repent and turn back to Christ, we will never be forgiven. And that's why serving Christ must be the priority of every Christian. No Christ, no resurrection, you can see it here, no repentance, no salvation. Our friends and our families will be separated from God for eternity. <clears throat> what a tragedy. You remember David Jenkins, Bishop David Jenkins? Uh, you know, who questioned the resurrection, uh, whether he actually said it's a conjuring trick with bones is debated. But he said this, my faith in God forces me to raise these questions about the virgin birth and the resurrection. He said, I'm not saying that people do not get it onto God through these various things. I am saying that it should not be laid down that you must get onto God that way. Oh, Bishop Jenkins, there is no other way. There's no other way that people can be saved. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus that means that we can be raised up to be with Christ. How, how would Paul respond to this? Uh, such leaders who, who say that the, the virgin birth and the resurrection aren't that important. See, these people... They destroy the faith of some. It changes the gospel into what I do to try and impress God instead of what God has done 
for me to save me. Um, they had it in the early church. Do you remember in 2, 2 Timothy 4? There are a couple of people there, uh, Philetus, Hymenus, uh, and Philetus, who said the resurrection uh, was, was past. They've wandered from the faith, from the truth. They say the resurrection's already taken place. And they destroy the faith of some. So all of us, when we're talking to people, we must insist these facts are integral in the Christian faith. It was a major problem in Corinth. Look at verse, verse 12 there, if you've got your Bible open. Some leaders were saying there, there is no resurrection. They were emphasizing the life now. This thinking, it was Greek, Epicurean uh, thinking, but it had infiltrated into the church in Corinth, and it's now infiltrating into the church in, in the Western world. Uh, a famous Greek uh, Epicurean, a man called Lucretius, you know, he taught that we're just made of atoms, atoms and, and space, and that when you die, the atoms just go into some, something else. And that's all there is to man. Very similar to what some people are saying today. So he's saying, just enjoy life while you've got it. No, Paul says, Jesus says, no, the real life is the one to come, the resurrection life. Don't waste eternity on living for now. Yeah, some people say, well, I'm happy for Jesus to rise from the dead because I'm, you know, he was divine, wasn't he? He was the son of God. It's resurrection for us that I find so difficult. Let's be clear on this. God cannot die. So the person who died as Jesus was the man Jesus. His physical body died. It was as a man that he perished. So if they're saying that, uh, well, obviously as a man, he also raised from the dead. He raised a physical body. So if people are saying, oh, humans can't rise, that can't be right as the man Jesus rose. Look at verse 14. If Christ has not been risen, our preaching is useless and says your faith. So if no resurrection of Jesus, then frankly the church is a waste of time. Waste of time, people coming to church. If no resurrection 15, then the apostles are all liars. What we have in our New Testament, which is apostolic, is, is just untrue. In fact, there are six ifs, you know, if the resurrection didn't happen. The consequences, ultimately, is we're still in our sin. We have no chance of eternal life. It really is important. There's no heaven available, no salvation. You know, Paul often talks about people being dead in their sins. It's a similar idea here. There are people who say, well, what matters is this life. Rubbish. Look, look down to verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. 
What is the point of spending your life living for God, living for the Lord Jesus, if that's all there is? But then, look at verse 20. This is real triumph. But, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And in the next eight verses, he describes the consequences of this resurrection. So all of us are either in one of two camps. Either we're still living for this life, we're in Adam, or we're in Christ and we're living for the next life. When the end of the world comes, those who are in Christ will follow him, the, the firstborn, the first example to be raised, and we'll also be raised to be with him. As you all know, we're, we're living now in the last times. The, uh, we're in a, a pan-millennium, the time before, in between when Jesus first came and his second time. And during this time, the Bible says his reign will increase. But so will be the, the tensions until he returns to defeat all evil and finally establish God's reign in the new world. Look at 29. It's very interesting. It's in the present tense. It suggests that in Corinth, baptism was seen as something so important that people were being baptized on behalf of someone who had already died. Now, that practice died out, but except in <coughs> some interesting groups. But let's be clear. The Bible is certain that people are not saved by being baptized. No, we're saved by faith in Jesus, following the Lord Jesus. But baptism is so important because it's a public proclamation that we are following Jesus. That's why, if you've not been baptized, do think of having a word with Chris. Because a public proclamation, we're on Christ's side, is so important. So, he continues. Being a Christian is not an easy life. Look at 31. Why do we endanger ourselves every day? See, Paul takes these risks because of the reality of the next life. Everything will be worthwhile then. One of the reasons that the church spread so rapidly was because the behavior of the Christians in the times of, of epidemics, the plague, because they weren't afraid of death, so they'd nurse and care for the sick. It has a radical effect on how we think. Christians scorn death. So, third thing, our choices matter very much. The, the resurrection, it does, it confronts all of us. Are we living for this world or for the next? When you're meeting people, are you concerned for their eternal welfare or couldn't we be bothered? Uh, Paul puts in this quote from the Greek, uh, Greek uh, comedy, Thais. It's written by Menander. Uh, the Corinthians would have known this. Those who were teaching a this-world message were in fact saying there is no resurrection. And he goes on to say, look, these people are bad company. 
Don't get involved with those people who don't hold to the doctrines of the scriptures and the apostles of Jesus. Come back to your senses. It says, repent. Stop sinning. Stop thinking and behaving in a way that denies Jesus and his resurrection. See, resurrection means get up and get out with God's message. Will you just look at 1 Corinthians 15, 34? If this is not part of your biblical uh, vocabulary, learn it. There are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. There's a, a, a missionary evening in the Cambridge University in the Union. They had two speakers. The, uh, the first one was meant to speak for 30 minutes. He spoke for 57 minutes. <coughs> Moral here, if you've got responses, keep to time. The main speaker, Jim Broomhall, stood up with three minutes to go. He said, I've just got time to read to you my verse. The implications of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 34. There are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. See, that's what Paul says. That's the implication. We must be involved in sharing the gospel with others. Jim who looked at the clock. I've just got time to read that again. 1 Corinthians 15, 34. There are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. As a, a young medic, uh, David Wheatley Price, who is uh, there in the audience listening to this, the first talk did nothing for him, but the, that verse did. And he committed his life to being a missionary for Christ. He went off to Kenya, in fact, as a medical missionary. A generation later, David Wheatley Price came back to the, uh, to the missionary weekend in the Union at Cambridge. And he told this story of what had influenced him. And he said, 1 Corinthians 15, 34, there are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. And there's another young medic sitting there, Peter Patterson. He heard this, and he gave his life to sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus with other people around. He went to Kenya as well. And Peter Patterson, he became a GP later, and he told me this story. When, as a GP, he invited his patients to come and hear the gospel in his home. And I, I was there doing the talk. See, there's going to be a time when everybody's going to recognize Christ's reign, whether they want to or not. How foolish it is for people to want to live forgetting his authority. Just look at verses 24, 25 as we finish. The end's going to come. That's when Christ returns. Then he's going to hand over the kingdom that he's been building up during all these years. After he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, then he, God, his son, must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. So we Christians are now involved in this. This is our task, to win people for Christ by the way we live, 
and what we teach. It's completely opposite to the teaching around. So can everyone see the effect that the resurrection should be having in our lives? We should be Christ-centered. I know it's not my patch, but just look on to the end. The, uh, 1558. It's the same application. The resurrection is real. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, that's us, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There is a resurrection to, a resurrection to come. Let's live for it. Amen.